This is Jalen, and you're listening to the Firm Foundation Church Podcast, where you'll get weekly episodes featuring your favorite sermons straight from our in-person Sunday morning services. Check it out. So today we're going to continue our vision series. This is a series we began a couple of weeks ago. This is part three of our vision series. And for whatever reason, you missed one of the last two messages or you missed both of them, I would encourage you as your pastor to go back and listen to them. I won't do this much throughout the year, but during the vision series, I'm for sure going to make that known. Please go back and listen to each message because I believe they build on each other. And I believe this is laying out the vision, the prophetic vision that I believe God is calling us to as a church in 2024. Uh, in fact, Proverbs 29 18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And so we want to hear God's prophetic vision and word that he has for us corporately as a church because we want to have vision to know how we're called to move we don't just want to be floundering. We don't just want to be doing our own thing and going our own ways. But we truly want to hear the heart of God and what it is that he's wanting to speak over us. Uh, the word that I believe the Lord has put in my heart for us as a church in 2024 is the word steadfast. I believe this is the word that the Lord is speaking to us as a church. I believe he's called us to become and remain steadfast in our belief, in our determination, in our adherence to his word, to be unwavering in faith, loyalty, and devotion. And the verse that God has given to us for this year is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. If you turn there, underline it, if you haven't done so yet, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be what? Steadfast in what? Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain for the Lord. I believe God is calling us to be a church that will be steadfast throughout this year. And so I believe this is closely connected to the vision that God has given us as a church. Our vision is to be the people of God. In the community to impact the community. And so here's what I believe this God has called us as a church to be steadfast in evangelism, to be steadfast in outreach, to be steadfast in sharing the good news with the lost, and to be steadfast in raising up this next generation. This is truly what I believe God is calling us to. And the results and the fruit that you and I are going to see that comes from this year won't necessarily be huge fruit in our own lives, but we're going to see fruit in the people around us if we will be true to the vision, if we will be steadfast and immovable and continuing to do good. So listen to me. This cannot be a season that you and I are distracted in. We've got to be immovable and focused on what it is that he's calling us to do. So the title of today's message and the direction God wants us to go today uh, is the, the title is Boldness. Boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your presence and we invite you to come and move on us today. Lord, we need your words. It's the Lord our desires to highlight our hearts so that we don't forget what it is that you're saying. That I am praying 
that your church will awaken. Lord, that we will not be a church that sits back and just watches. But Lord, that we will be a church in action as we share our faith. As we begin to reach into our community and love those that need us most, Lord, as we share the good news about Jesus Christ with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, our neighbors, those that we trust, as we uh, go about our everyday running of our lives, Lord, we ask Lord, that you would help us to raise up this next generation to love you, to love your word, to love your spirit, to love worship, to love coming and worshiping God in the house. Lord, I pray that this won't be a place that is, uh, it just feels like a religious thing that we do every Sunday. God, I pray that this will be a part of our hearts to, to be able to do something great for you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would move in our lives and speak to us today. We thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right, so we're going to look at Ruth now, chapter 3, this is where we're going to be. What I believe the Lord has, has told us to do in this series is to study the book of Ruth. And so we're looking at the lives of three main characters, Naomi, uh, Ruth, and Boaz. Uh, we're reading the story, learning all that we can from it. The more importantly, as we lean in, we're saying, okay, God, how does this apply to this word that you've given to us as a church? Uh, and so that's what we're in the process of doing. And so I want to remind you of a few things that we've been reading and studying about so far to this point. Uh, we've discovered that Ruth was a poor widow. Uh, she lost her husband's. And it just so happens, all right? When I do again, it just so happens. If you were here last Sunday, you know why I'm doing that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let's make that go back and watch the sermon, all right? Ruth just so happens to start working in a field of a man named Boaz. Uh, and so we discover about Boaz that he's a man of standing. He's a man of godly character. He loves the Lord. And one day, as Ruth is working in his field, he invites her to come over and to have lunch with him one day. And so it's kind of their first date, and they seem to really connect, and things go well. But then after the date, nothing. We have our first record of the first person that ever goes to anybody in the scriptures right <laughs> Nothing happened for weeks. Ruth was on edge, waiting to see. I thought the conversation went good. I thought we connected. I thought we had something here. But then, nothing. And so she's desperately waiting on a response. And so as they're almost at the time of finishing up harvest, Ruth starts to panic and starts to think, what do I need to do to get his attention? And so here in the story, I want you to pay attention to the boldness that Ruth has. Because I believe God is also calling you and I to be bold. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. It says, One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing, borrowing at the threshing floor. What is happening here? All right, maybe you'll understand the text. So I'm going to try to help uh, you understand what's happening. They're at the end of harvest, and so Naomi knows where Boaz is going to be because he's always at the same place. They're always at the same place at the end of harvest. They go to a platform that would be near the field where they're gathering the grain so that the wheat can be separated 
from the shop. So that's kind of what's happening here. And so Naomi tells Ruth, go there because that's where you're going to find them. Uh, and here at this time is an exciting time. Because if you remember before, Bethlehem was in a time of famine. Uh, they hadn't received a harvest for at least a decade or maybe even more. And so as they begin to gather here at this platform, there would have been excitement among them. Because they were have a harvest, they were going to be able to determine how much profits that they would be able to gain from that year's harvest. And so that's kind of what's happening here. And so they only strategizes with Ruth. This is the place you can meet with them and have that next connection. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. Oh. <laughs> This is coming from mother-in-law. You know that you would receive that well from mother-in-law. Right? We're not going to go there. We're going to keep them up, right? Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go out to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, there's something here that they always discover that I'm really proud of. Uh, for any of you ladies that don't know, one of the greatest ways to open up your man or a man's heart is to feel kind of good We love to eat. My wife knows that I love sweets. And so what do we usually have in our house? Sweets. He knows the key to my heart is my stomach. Alright, so I'll tell you a good thing. Alright, let's keep reading verse 4. Be sure to notice where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, he replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Now, this part gets a little interesting, kind of odd. If you hear some of the instructions that's coming from Naomi to, to Ruth, and to be honest with you, I would uh, encourage you as fathers and mothers to never give this kind of advice to your daughters. Uh, I don't feel like that's very wise advice, and I would even go as far to say it's not biblical. Uh, we've got to be careful with that line of how far we go in a relationship before marriage. And so this is a little confusing, but as I did some research, here's what I discovered I believe was going on in the story. Naomi was doing her best to get Ruth to understand that this was a time of action. Uh, this was a time for her to, to be bold and, and to let him know that she's there. And so here's what Naomi knows. If, she can, if they can trust God's sovereignty, if they can trust Boaz's integrity. You see, you got to put yourself sometimes in the right place at the right time and trust your God to give you the desired results. Let's keep reading verse 7. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. The roof came quietly and covered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised by the woman laying at his feet. Who are you? <laughs> yes. He didn't recognize her. She must look very different here. Remember, she took a bath. All right. There's I am your servant, Rouge, replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family. Redeemer. Uh, these last two words are very important. They say family redeemer, a new living translation of New King James that I studied out of talks about a kinsman redeemer. And so a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer is 
a relative who has the responsibility, but also the privilege to care for a family member that's in time of need. And so in Ruth's case, and in Naomi's case, it would have been they lost their husbands. And now they returned back home and were in need. And so there would be a family redeemer that would need to step up. Uh, now, something important to note that we're going to see more uh, here in just a moment is that Boaz is actually a distant relative. He's not necessarily the, close, the closest relative uh, to Ruth. Um, and so he's not going to actually have a legal right obligation like that closest relative so she asked Boaz to spread the corner of his covering over her. Again, what is happening here? What is the significance that's being told here in the story? And here's my understanding as I study it, is that she's asking him to be her spiritual covering. She's saying, will you be my redeemer? Will you be my family redeemer? You know, some even go as far as saying that Ruth may have even been asking uh, him to marry her. Uh, that she was proposing to him. Uh, we don't really know if this is, is actually the, the case or not. I'm not personally sure myself. But here's what we know for sure, is that she's being bold in her requests towards Boaz. She is making it very clear her intentions. So Boaz treats Ruth honorably. And here's what he does in verse 11. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town to know you are a virtuous woman. You see, Ruth is being bold here in this statement, but she's also hinting at her love for Boaz, and Boaz lets her know, I see you. I recognize your character, I see who you are, and I am committing to you that I will help you find your family redeemer. But we're going to discover that there's the obstacle that we spoke about just a moment ago, verse 12. It says, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. And once again, Ruth's heart breaks, right? Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So there's an obstacle here. There's a closer relative. And so Ruth is wondering, is he going to be my family redeemer? Is some other guy that I know nothing about? Here's the goal to this point. She has seen the heart of Boaz. She knows that he is a man of standing, a man of honor that loves the Lord. And if she's going to enter into a marriage, she would prefer it be with him. There's an obstacle here. And so we're going to read more about what happens with this obstacle next week in, in chapter 4. Let's go ahead and finish reading the story, and then we're going to have some takeaways from it here in just a moment. Uh, verse 14. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she said, He gave me six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. 
Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. And so we kind of summarize what's happening here in this passage. You know, Naomi and Ruth make plans to get Boaz to, to notice their situation. Ruth makes it very clear that she's no longer a mourning widow. But by the way, she begins to dress. She lets Boaz know once again she is available and open for marriage. Uh, Ruth goes and meets with him. Uh, she asks him to be the family redeemer. Uh, Boaz is blown away at her boldness. He classifies her as a virtuous woman, uh, which is a reference to a Proverbs chapter 31 type of woman, a woman of noble character. And so Boaz makes a commitment. I will not rest until we find you a family redeemer. If the closest relative that is actually your family redeemer wants to be that, I'll allow him to. If he doesn't, I will step up and be that for you. And so here at the end, Naomi and Ruth are rejoicing because something has happened. That there's moving, they're marveling at what's unfolding in front of them. And so let's talk about boldness for a moment. I want to unpack this for us as a church and what I believe God is saying to us as He's called us to be steadfast. More importantly, how He's called us to be boldly steadfast. I don't think steadfast for us in this season is a time for us to sit back and just wait. But I believe God is calling us to action. So I want to make this very, very, very practical for us today. Because I want you to understand what is Pastor Blake saying that God is calling us to this year. I want you to leave today and have no question uh, in your mind. So I'm going to try to lay this out as, as clearly as I possibly can. But here's the thing I believe I want to say. I want us to be boldly steadfast in evangelism, in outreach, in reaching the lost, and raising up the next generation. I believe these are four key things that the Lord is calling us to in 2024. Now, my question is, what are we going to do about it? And more importantly, I'm going to pull up the mirror for a second and point it right back at you and say, more importantly, what are you going to do about it? I believe this is a year of testing. If you remember what this year signifies, it's, it's a year that defines what the future is going to look like. And so are we going to be a church that steps in who God has called us to be? Or are we going to shrink back and just remain comfortable? Because you have the choice about which direction this church goes. It's on you. It's, it's on me. It's not just something for me and the membership team to carry, but I really truly believe God is wanting to call each and every one of you to step up. And so here's what we're looking for. Uh, we are looking for some people that have it in their hearts to do evangelism. And we need some people to stand up and say, I can help carry that vision forward. Maybe evangelism isn't your thing that you love and get excited about every single day. I can't wait to go. Here's just an example. Knock on the door and say, you know Jesus, right? For some people, that is crazy intimidating. But you know, evangelism can be something that we do in a very creative way. It can be done in a variety of different ways and methods. Uh, when Ryan was sharing the whole message this morning, he actually spoke uh, to some of those things. And those will be some conversations that we have later on. But I'm asking you, looking at your church, who will stand up and help carry that mission forward? Someone has to have that calling. When it comes to local outreach, listen, we're not just called to be a church that has four walls and sits on this property line and goes nowhere. We're called to be the people of God where? 
in the community. That means we've got to get outside of these four walls and start giving our community. There are needs all around us. There's nursing homes. There's prisons. There's a lot of different areas that of need that are right in our backyard. And God has called us to be a church that's in the community. And so local outreach has got to be something that starts to form. Uh, and so I want to ask you, who's going to step up and help lead and carry that vision forward? It's got to be you. It's got to be me. It just can't be something that my wife and I are carrying on our own. In fact, in a lot of ways, if we keep picking up more things, Christine and I specifically, this church is going nowhere. Because what if one day it says, Blake and Christine, it's time for you to leave? What's going to happen to the church? We don't have nothing to stand on. We are the church. Yeah. And so who will step up and help us carry local outreach for when it comes to reaching the lost? Who's going to stand up? Who will go into the community and begin to share and evangelize and have once again a passion to see the lost saved? Listen, if we don't have some baptisms happening this year, then we've got a problem. We got a problem. That means that we care more about our own comfort. We care more about doing the old, old, the old things that we have scheduled and planned to do. That we care more about the people that don't know Jesus Christ. And so that means we got a problem. And we've got some kids that have accepted Jesus Christ over the last year or so, and then asked that they could be baptized. And so in the coming months, we're going to be doing a baptism. But listen, if those are the only ones that get baptized this year. We're not fulfilling our mission to be steadfast. Who will once again have a passion for the lost? And and lastly, who will have a passion to raise up the next generation? Will you stand up? Will you help carry that vision forward? Something that Christine and I have been praying about and been talking about as an eldership team is that we believe that Christina's season of of leading kids ministry is coming to an end. And so that means someone else is going to have to step up and carry that thing forward. And so my question is, is, who will step up and help us carry kids' ministry to that next level? Who will continue to lean in and press in and support the ones that have been to lead our youth ministry and take it to the next level? Listen, we've got a lot, a lot of young people and teenagers that are going to be in this church over the next couple of years. And so where is the people that will stand up and help us lead that generation forward? Listen, we need owners to step up. To become and remain steadfast in carrying the vision God has given to us for. And so I'm laying this out in front of you today, and you have a choice what to do with it. I can only go so far as your pastor. My job, right, is the vision cast. My job is to hear from the Lord and, and share where I believe He's calling us to go. My job is to pastor you, is to hear from you. Is to, to, to encourage you and equip you with what you need to do all that God has called you to do. But it's on you as to what you're going to do with it. Right? And so I want to encourage you today. Today is the day where God is calling us this season to step up, to take our positions, to position ourselves to be owners and carriers of the vision. So very practically, this is what I believe the Lord is speaking to us and over us as a church. Now, here's some lessons that I believe that you and I can learn from this chapter. What I believe the Lord wants to teach us, to speak to us, and being steadfast. You know, if you feel like the Lord is leading you towards something, that it could even be someone, a relationship, 
that it's often wise for you and I to approach or position ourselves in, in such a way that we give God the opportunity to move. Yeah. And so we're talking about evangelism. If you never speak and share about the goodness of your God, you are not giving God the opportunity to move in that relationship. Uh, let me give you a practical example. Um, we uh, did this when we came here. Uh, we were in a season of transition. We believe that God had called us to stop being missionaries in Guatemala, and he was calling us back to the States. Uh, a lot of me wrestled with the Lord with that because I didn't want to leave Guatemala. It was in my bones. It was in my blood. And we loved what we were doing in Guatemala, and God says, I have a new assignment for you. And so we had to make a decision if we were going to position ourselves so that God could, could move. Uh, and so we were praying and trying to figure out where we should go, and we got to hear about the, minister, the, the, the vision of Firm Foundation Church. And as we heard that vision, we got excited about it. You know what I did? I sent an email to leadership. And I said, hey, I've heard your vision. I know where you're going. Would you have a place for us to be a part of that? We took a bold step of faith because we put ourselves out there. They could have said, no way. <laughs> we don't know you. We don't know your family. But they opened up their arms to us and we began to have conversations and God was moving at that time. And it made sense for our family to come up here to Michigan, even though we're Texans and Southerners by birth, but God is slowly changing our blood to be more thick and to endure the weather and to wear layers. Uh, but God was doing something, but it took me making a bold step of saying, I'm going to send an email and put myself out there. God is, is wanting to encourage us as the church to be bold. Put yourself out there. It's going to seem uncomfortable. It's going to maybe seem something that doesn't come naturally to you. But here's the thing. The more you do it, the more natural it will become. Something else I believe that we can learn as we read this story is that you and I are called to make some bold steps of faith. And so here's the thing. In order for you to pursue the call of God, you're going to have to do something bold. Let me give you an example. When Christina and I felt like the Lord was calling us to go to Guatemala to be missionaries, it took some very big, bold steps of faith. It wasn't easy. It wasn't going to be natural. But it was, we're going to have to do some bold steps in order to give God the opportunity to, to bring about what we knew he was calling us to. Let me give you some examples of some of those bold steps that we had to take. Um, I had to eventually have a conversation with the lead pastor to say, hey, we believe God is calling us to move the blood of all of you missionaries. And so here's what that meant. I was aligning my intake to be on the staff there at that church. By me saying what God was putting on our heart, I was saying, that means soon I'm probably not going to be here anymore. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know fully where we were going. We just began to share what God was putting in our hearts, and so we knew that, that was going to be a reality. We were going to be walking away from the south. We were going to be walking away from something that was stable into the area of unknown and living on supports. And so that took us some bold steps of faith. We had to sell everything that we owned for pennies on the dollars, you Everything in our home had to be sold, and we hardly made anything from it. It did not help us. Uh, with building up what we needed to, to go to Guatemala. So we had to get rid of it and sell it all so that we could pursue the call of God in our life. We left our home in Brownsville, Texas before we had a renter or an owner lined up. 
And so we were homeowners, stepping away, moving away from Brownsville, having no idea what would happen to that home. What was God's plan going to be? We sold our second vehicle. And here's the biggest step of faith. We moved in with my family. <laughs> I know, like, you live so well. We love your family. They're so grateful. But that brings tension and difficulty in everybody's life. Right? It's hard living with family. And so we stepped in. We left our home and grounds, but we moved in with my in-laws, and we had no idea how long we could be there. We were kind of in this season of unknown. In fact, at a missionary training school, that's asked us to draw a picture of where we felt like we were at. And I've shared this with some of you before. But I drew a picture of a mountaintop that had a steep drop-off. And I felt like I was stepping off the ledge holding the hands of my family, and we were about to step off into the unknown. I had no idea what was next. As far as I knew, I was going to have to get a new job. And we were going to have to live there in Tyler, Texas for an undetermined amount of time until we were positioned in a way that we could actually move to mission building. So here's what I need you to understand. In order to follow the call of God that he's putting on your life, that he's putting in our church, is hard for the season. It's going to take some bold steps to take. It's probably not even going to make sense. But you're going to have to step out in faith and trust that the Lord is in it. Make sure you've got that word confirmed, too, by the way. That was confirmed by many different directions before we made those steps of faith. But do that with counsel, godly counsel. Here's something else I believe we can learn from the story. Even if you don't get it all right or perfect, right? We look at kind of Naomi's uh, plan and idea. Like, I don't think it was necessarily the right way or the best plan, but here's the deal. God can correct anything as long as you're choosing to be faithful. Maybe you're going to mess up, maybe you're going to take a couple of wrong turns. Here's the deal. Know that God can redeem your story. Just remain in position and steadfastly seeking. You know, here's something else that we can learn. If you want people to say that you are a man or woman that honors God, listen to me. That boldly live a life today that is honoring and pleasing to God. Here's something else that we can learn from the story. The last thing I have for you: start having some bold conversations about the goodness of God. In closing, church, I want you to understand: in the same way, Jesus was not obligated to be our redeemer and to give his life for us. But because of his bold love, he chose to be stripped of his heavenly glory. And he became the sacrificial lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And after he gave his life for us, he was resurrected. So now that means that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. So I want to ask you a few questions. Who is Jesus to you? Is he cool historical figure? Is he a man that has a bunch of to do and not to do? List of names for you? Is he just some guy that you read about? He has some kind of casual commitment to him that can be changed from one day to the next. Are you fully committed to your government? 
casual connection ever that comes to your daily reading. But it's all about being committed to a church. But it's about being committed to a body of believers. So if you have a casual commitment to the things of God, or to be this guy that you just go see once a week on Sundays, you have no idea what he's going to say to you. Or is he truly the Lord of your life? Is he your Savior? Is he your Redeemer? More importantly, is he your King? What a righteous name your feet would be. Just your feet. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. I want to share with you my, my fear of where the church as a whole is going. As it is filled with way too many casual believers and followers of Jesus. A lot of things are optional. So there's even some of us in here today that are, or maybe that's even listening online and you have a head knowledge about who Jesus is. But you don't have it in your heart. There's a disconnect there. You haven't become personal yet. Jesus didn't just come to, to make you and I religious. He came because he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Gave his life for you. This is called to make us members of the church. Came to set us free. He didn't come to make us follow a bunch of rules and regulations. But he came to give us an abundant life. That is full of, of joy and peace. And so, who is Jesus to you? Church is a time I believe God is calling us to be a church that is bold, to be a church of action. It's not a season to shrink back, it's not a season to do all the things that the culture around us is doing. Stop filling up your schedules with things that honestly are meaningless in your life and in your family's life. We get real about this commitment that God has called Surrender to His ways, His time. And watch what we can do with your life, your family's life, in this community where God has called us to. So after we're out, I want you to ask the same question that we ask every single week. Say, Holy Spirit, what is it? Saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're saying? Thanks for tuning in. If what you heard today was inspirational or transformative, tell us about it. We love your feedback. For more information on how you can get connected, check us out at firmfoundation.church.